Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinovellis. Hope you all enjoyed a joyous and restful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving tournaments are behind us, and we had we had such a wide variety of games from coast to coast, right? I mean, the games in the Phil Knight Invitational couldn't have been better. That Alabama-North Carolina game, four overtimes, was off the charts. And what a performance by UConn. We saw good. We saw bad. I mean, none worse than Seton Hall. And believe me, we are going to talk with one of the voices of Seton Hall basketball, Dave Popkin, a bit later on the podcast. And I can't wait to hear his thoughts on the Pirates. But I want to focus on the good first. UConn is where we begin this show. The Huskies find themselves in the AP Top 10, number eight. It's their highest ranking since 2012. This after dominating the competition at the Phil Knight Invitational. All the Huskies do is win by double digits, right? Double digit wins over Oregon, over number 18, Alabama, and Iowa State. The closest game that UConn played in this tournament was 15 points. They deserve to be in the top 10 after that performance. They have a freshman. If you've watched UConn basketball, and if you have listened to this podcast, you know how high I've been on this kid since last year in high school. Donovan Klingen was named tournament MVP. All he did was score 15 points and grab 10 rebounds in the championship game. For the tournament, he averaged nine points, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half blocks. And for that performance, he was also named Big East Freshman of the Week. So that means three straight UConn Huskies have been named Big East Freshman of the Week. Alex Caravan won the first two. Klingon takes home the honors this week. And the freshmen just begin to tell the story of UConn. This is a team that had Adama Sinogo, their best player, score four points. Four points, a season low. And yet they rose to the occasion because of guys like Caravan and, of course, Klingon and Andre Jackson, who is slowly rounding into form. He had 10 points and 13 rebounds and five assists, nearly a triple-double. And when you can bring those two off the bench and your best player, arguably the best player in the, in the conference, scores four points and you manhandle Iowa State, that is a statement for UConn. This team has all the ingredients. They have great coaching, great guard play, Superior size, toughness, great depth. Add it all with a desire to win. You hear about the transfers like Tristan Newton. These guys wanted to come to UConn to win. And that is something that sets UConn apart. This team is averaging nine and a half threes a game. They made a program record 17 against Oregon. They can shoot. They're shooting 37% from three as a team. And my guy, Joey Calcaterra, the transfer from San Diego, he's the leader of the threes. Shooting 56% and 
He's at 15 of 27 from beyond the arc this season. I mean, when you can bring weapons like that off the bench, you know you're loaded. And we've only begun to see what Andre Jackson can do. And of course, Jordan Hawkins is still not 100% after missing a few games with a concussion, but, but he looks good. UConn continues to rise. And so does St. John's. The Johnnies are now 7-0. They're best start in four years. They'll host LIU on Tuesday before heading into their Big East Big 12 matchup at Iowa State. That'll be Sunday. That is going to be St. John's first true road game of the year. And that's a big test because we know Iowa State can play. They knocked off North Carolina, the number one team in the country, before succumbing to UConn. But man, if St. John's can win that game, they can start talking about being ranked. All right. Is there a more improved player in the country? We talk about him every week on the podcast. But is there a more improved player in the country than Joel Soriano? Right now, he is the runaway odds on favorite to win Big East Conference most improved player. He is a double-double machine. Six double-doubles in seven games and posted career highs of points and rebounds against Niagara. 21 points, 19 rebounds, just a monster effort. I know St. John's struggled a little bit with Niagara, but they did win. No posh. He was sitting out with concussion protocol. But look, We've seen a lot of St. John's play this year. They are a Jekyll and Hyde team from half to half. You know, they can be really bad and look like a rec basketball team at times, and they can turn it on and just absolutely light you up for a 12-0 run in a heartbeat. But they're winning. They're winning the games they have to win. Soriano is also the leading rebounder in the country at 12.7 per game. Hopefully they get posh back. Uh, they are getting contributions, obviously, from David Jones, Omar Stanley, Montez Mathis, Dylan Adeyawusu. St. John's is looking pretty good right now. I've been critical of this team in the past, but something is clicking with this team and if you want to buy stock, buy stock in St. John's. I believe in this team. Rutgers is another team I believe in. They had a 30-point win over Ryder and a 34-point win over Central Connecticut. They are still playing without Paul Mulcahy, but clearly they have learned how to win without him. Derek Simpson has done a heck of a job. All right? You are asking a true freshman to come in and lead your team, and direct the offense, and score, and get everybody involved. That's a lot to ask of a true freshman. But Derek Simpson has done a heck of a job. And so too has Antoine Wolfolk. There has been a pleasant surprise. He's athletic. In two games, he had 17 points and 13 rebounds. So he looks like he will be another diamond in the rough for Steve Peichel. But really, to me, the story of their game, their win over CCSU was 
the return of Caleb McConnell. He sat out the last month with a knee injury, played more than I thought he would. He played 25 minutes, and it's really not about the numbers, but just the fact that he's back out there. He ended up with four points and four rebounds and three assists. He will round out into shape, and hopefully he can get his legs under him to begin this very challenging stretch. All right, what's the status of Paul Mulcahy? Will he be healthy for this stretch? But this is where Rutgers, we are going to learn a lot about this team over the next five games. They're at Miami. They host the preseason favorite in the Big Ten, Indiana. That game is going to be raucous at the rack. We know that Rutgers has had their way with Indiana in recent years. They've had their number. So I'm sure that both teams have that game circled on their calendar. Then they're at Ohio State, who looks to be just fine. Then they're home to Seton Hall and Wake Forest. All right, that is a gauntlet. Five games over the next two weeks. Rutgers fans, I think you'd agree with me. The goal is to go three and two in that stretch. That's the goal. I think it's realistic. Two and three is not the end of the world, but three and two is where you should be if you believe you're going to challenge in the Big Ten and be an NCAA tournament team like we all think that Rutgers can be. Now, listen, you go four and one in that stretch, and this team is off and running. That's not out of the question. I think you're going to need Paul Mulcahy in order to do that at some point in this stretch. But three and two in that stretch, and you're right where you should be coming out of that. So that's the good. UConn, St. John's, Rutgers. You know what? I'll even throw Hofstra into that category because the Pride are five and two. They are gearing up for conference play in the Colonial Athletic. They have the best player in the conference. And Aaron Estrada, the pride of St. Benedict's Prep. This is a team that played Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac was unbeaten at 7-0. And Hofstra won that game thanks to the efforts of Estrada. He had 29 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. I mean, he is playing as well as anyone in the country right now. And he has Hofstra trending up. So there's some good as well. But now for the ugly. And folks, it doesn't get much uglier than what's happened at Seton Hall over the Thanksgiving break. Because things started in spectacular fashion with that shocking win over Memphis on Thanksgiving night in Orlando. Tyrese Samuel banking in a three-pointer from straight away. That was the shot heard around the college basketball world. Twitter blew up. Highlights were being played everywhere. The Pirates were celebrating. They were storming the court, pig-piling Tyree Samuel, the Big Maple. Life was good. They were going to play Oklahoma. Seton Hall fans were dreaming of getting to the championship game and maybe winning this preseason tournament. But something happened from that locker room celebration to the next game against Oklahoma. They played a decent first half. They were in the game. But things fell apart in the second half. Oklahoma made shots. Seton Hall did not. Seton Hall could not get any stops. 
Oklahoma looked like the grittier team. They looked like the tougher team. They looked like a team that was more prepared for the situation. And if that wasn't bad enough, then Seton Hall goes to the third place game against Siena. And, and that's where the wheels came off the wagon. Because what I saw was a team that was disorganized, disinterested, and disengaged. Those are three Ds for a disaster. And maybe it's just my interpretation of what was going on out there. I'm not saying the team didn't give an effort, but it just, it looks like there's no continuity, no cohesion on this team. And if you're a team that's struggling offensively, you better bring it on the defensive end. You better be on the same page defensively, fighting through screens. And are you challenging the shooter? Are you switching hard? Are you boxing out? Or are you just, as the shot goes up, just turning and maybe the rebound comes to you? That was a Siena team that was well-prepared, that outcoached Seton Hall. They wanted it, and they executed it. It was ugly, but Siena got the win, winning ugly. Seton Hall totally looked like a team that had not played together. Where's the leadership? Where do they go from here? The Pirates are four and three, stumbling into a very difficult stretch where two of their next three games are at Kansas and at Rutgers. Lincoln University is in there in between at Walsh Gymnasium. But you're talking about two of the toughest places in the country to play in Allen Fieldhouse and Jersey Mike's Arena. Good luck the way this team is playing right now with that schedule. Can they win? Not the way they're playing now. They have a short period of time to try to right the ship. And here to make sense of what's happened and where this team is going is one of the voices of Seton Hall University men's basketball now in his 20th season with Gary Cohen on the radio is none other than Dave Popkin. Dave, welcome back to New Jersey. And how are you feeling? Uh, I am feeling uh, a little wounded after this weekend. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, Oklahoma was not entirely unexpected. They're a really good team. Um, they played like the better team. And uh, Seton Hall obviously had a chance to win that game. Um, has the players that can win a game like that. But, um, you know, the Siena game was surprising. Seton Hall was a huge underdog in the game. Um, it was a really quiet ride back. Yeah, I I, I bet. And I think most shocking to me, I want to begin at the end, okay, because uh, Shaheen Holloway came on to your broadcast, and did you expect him to say the things he said about the team and to really bury the players like he did? Did he catch you off guard with any of his comments? I was surprised. Um, I, I'm not surprised in that he's brutally honest because he's always honest. Um, sometimes he's not in a great mood, but he's always honest. And um, he has his perception that I'm sure is pretty close to reality. <laughs> you know? um, I, I didn't expect that. I mean, I, I know that he was irked in the preseason when uh, there were some guys that were, you know, 
hurt, maybe not so hurt. They were sitting out practices and it makes it makes it hard to practice, right? If you have walk-ons or coaches or or different people in there trying to run plays uh, and key pieces of your team, you know, are not learning the offense or not learning the defense. And, and I think that set them back and he knew that that was going to be a problem, right? He was not super optimistic as some of the fans were going into this year. Um, the coaches picked them seventh. I thought they were going to be better than seventh. They still might be. Right now, they're not. And uh, I think that he kind of was, you know, emotional after the game last night. Um, I think even if they would have won that game by, you know, two points instead of, you know, losing it, um, he still would have been uh, upset with the way that they played. So for those of our listeners who who didn't hear or see the quotes, I mean, he he had two ways to go with this. Number one, he could have he could have taken a softer approach and said, listen, we got to get better. We haven't had enough practice time. This loss is on me. And yes, he took the blame for the loss. And he says he got out coached. But when he says, I've never been around a, a group of guys who don't want to play basketball. How are we to interpret that, Dave? Do they not want to be out on the court? Do they not want to play for Holloway? Do they not want to play for each other? All of the above? How do you interpret it? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, the game before he was talking about me ball. I didn't see a whole lot of that. I thought they were trying to share the ball some. Um, I think that they're wayward in their offense and and it just looks disjointed. And you have, you know, four different people playing point guard and it just it looks awkward right now. Um, you know, how that, you know, don't want to play a basketball line translates what that means to him. Um, you know, it is, is it a training room thing, like an injury thing? Um, if it's an injury thing and the guy can't play, he can't play, right? If he tells the trainer he can't play, then he can't play. Um, if it is, you know, him just wanting, you know, guys to tough it out, I guess that's his opinion. That's his prerogative. And, um, that's how people played when he played. He obviously needs all of his guys to play. So, um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if there was more to it than that. You know, if there was anything in the huddle or the locker room. I mean, I, I don't see that, but who knows? <laughs> you know what? I guess we're going to find out. This is a much different approach than what we saw with Willard. Willard would always protect his players, never called them out by name, rarely, rarely, if ever. And we knew there were issues with a lot of guys, you yeah. know, maybe Desi Rodriguez being there at the top. But they always played hard. The majority of them, the vast majority stayed and didn't transfer, at least the impact ones. Um, and is he's more of a coach's player. So is this tough guy approach, um, tough love approach going to work with this group? It remains to be seen, right? It remains to be seen if they uh, can fully buy in. Uh, it's definitely a unique concept. Um, with, you know, guys that are used to playing 32, 35 minutes, now playing 19 or 21 minutes, it's a big difference to them. Um, they get fewer shots, they get fewer points. Um, you know, there is still an element of, hey, you know, I want to play professionally. You know, I want to, I want to, you know, put on a good showing for myself in addition to my team and my school. Um, it's the era of free agency in basketball. Any of these guys can leave mm -hmm. after this year. It's harder for the ones that are going to transfer a second or third time 
um, the school has to sign off on that and say that, you know, you weren't going to be able to play here for whatever reason. Um, we're seeing that uh, with uh, Sienna, actually, uh, with one of their players that tried to transfer out. Uh, and Sienna did not clear him to go to Wichita State. Um, so there is, you know, some limitation right now. But by and large, it's free agency. These guys can move around. They're taking name, image, and likeness money. And Shaheen said it a couple of games ago, you know, I have to re-recruit my own players um, after this year or during this year right. to make sure that he has a team for next year. So it's it's all very complicated, you know, and I think that his approach right now is this is not acceptable. This is what I want. Do it. And he's, he's getting their attention, I think. And um, it, it's not just like it's your fault. He's the first couple of games that they lost. He said, it's my fault. And he tried to deflect and kind of take the blame. Say, oh, we well, we got out coached and and this and that. This one, he shared the blame. <laughs> yeah, no, he he did. And then he called out, uh, you know, two of the players. Were they injured? Were they not injured? We know Dre Davis has a knee injury. He was held out of the Wagner game uh, since played against Memphis and Oklahoma. And then suddenly came to, according to coach, in his postgame comments with you, uh, came right before tip-off and said he wasn't ready to go. Same thing with Trey Jackson, who then got taped up on his ankle uh, and was ready to go. Dre Davis did not play. So now we have to wonder if guys are injured or not injured. Can they play? Can they not play? So in a way, he's questioning their toughness. And are they able to play through it like you said? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure how they're going to react, but I do know that they need all nine or 10 guys if they're going to be successful, because, um, you know, at the pace that he wants to play, especially defensively, you can't leave the starters out there the whole time. They're going to get tired. So um, we saw not having Dre Davis in the last game was a big deal. Um, as soon as the starters built an eight point lead, as soon as they left, Sienna went on a 14 to one run and there was no punch coming from that bench. So uh, if Jackson was limited and, and wasn't able to do a lot, and then you had no Davis and you didn't play Sanders a lot, then all of a sudden your 10 man team gets, you know, it, it's a lot shorter and you're throwing a freshman Tay Davis out there who was, you know, played well first couple of games and is now hitting the wall. And it's like, whoa, this is, this is some serious competition right here. Um, and it's, it's a lot for him. Like, I think he's going to be a really good player for Seton Hall, but um it looks like it's a lot for him right now. So all of a sudden, you know, if you bring Jameer Harris and uh, who has a sore shoulder and and one other guy, you know, that's that's healthy or useful off the bench, it, it limits your options. And uh, so if you have a couple guys that are cold in the starting lineup and you don't get that punch off the bench, then you really start to scratch your head. So, Dave, do you think that Shaheen, you mentioned something pretty important right there. We saw in the Iowa game, they built a 10 point, a 10 to two lead with the starters, Shaheen goes into his bench, brings four guys off the bench. Suddenly, Iowa goes on a run and takes control of that game. We saw it again in the Siena game uh, where they built a lead, like you said, and then they lost the lead uh, quite quickly. Do you think Shaheen needs to look at uh, his substitution pattern, maybe keeping some starters in longer and not emptying out so many players uh, at a crucial point in the game when they might have control. Maybe. 
Um, I think he's he's played the starters a little longer uh, the past few games and not subbed him out as quickly. Um, but it depends. Like all five starters aren't necessarily playing well all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So he he may go to okay, this guy is you know is struggling on one end of the floor. Let me plug one guy in as you know instead of a line change. I don't know. I, I think that he if he had his druthers, he wants to play nine or ten and. Um, have them play pretty equal minutes so that they're fresh at the end of a game like yesterday, like three games in four days. They should have been a fresh team. Um, I don't know that they weren't fresh, but they ran up against a team that was equally as deep. Okay. So they were not any more tired than Seton Hall was. Siena was playing nine or 10 effective guys and they didn't lose a ton, you know, when they went to their bench, they, they didn't gain a lot of scoring, but those guys were able to hang. Uh, and, and keep the game close. So um, I don't know. You know, I think he's really trying to figure it out um, in terms of um, who's handling the ball. He's trying to play positionless basketball, right? He doesn't want to box guys into roles. He said that on our last pregame show before the Siena game. I said, well, you know, what do you want to do with your backcourt? You know, who do you want to be the point guard? Who do you want to shoot more? Uh, what are their defensive roles? And, and he said that he didn't like to be put in a box as a player. Um, he wants to let them go and play and be versatile and play multiple positions and, and you know, go out and be difficult to guard. And I, I think that they're still trying to feel that out, who can do what and and where he wants guys. And um, it's been a struggle. You know, I mean, even the Memphis game was that they won on a miracle was a struggle. Right. Um, so I thought they would come out of that tournament two and one. They came out one and two. It's not the end of the world, but... Um, you know, losing to a team that's plus 200 in the Ken Palm um, that may end up better than that because they're good, Sienna. Um, but losing to that team um, is going to hurt them, you know, resume wise in the long run. No question. So, Dave, you're sitting courtside every game. If I asked you what's wrong with this team, what's missing in your opinion, why don't they seem to play together? How do you answer that? What's your assessment of where they are and what's wrong? Somebody asked me before the season, you know, what is this team? What's it going to be? And I said, I don't know. And after, you know, seven games, I I still don't know. Um, I I know that they have not been a reliable shooting team uh, and it's hard to win games that way. Um, So Al Dawes, a couple of games ago, hit four threes. You know, can he approach that every game? Can they run plays for him to do that? Can the other guys look for him in his spot? Uh, to do that because they need it. I mean, they almost went the whole game without a three-pointer. Okay. They had not done that since 2009, like over 400 straight games with a three. So if you go one for whatever, you know, one for 10 from three, it's hard to win a college basketball game because, you know, generally the other team is going to make six to nine threes, something like that. And the math just doesn't work out. You know, it's hard to two people to death and they're not they're not wanting people to death, right? They're not making free throws. They missed 12 free throws in the game. Yeah. So you add up all those things, and that's how you end up with like 55 points because you know Shaheen, I think, was frustrated with the free throws. Is that because they were tired? Is it because they're not good shooters? I have no idea. Um, but it was a neutral court. It wasn't really a road court where the you know the fans were getting on them. They just missed them. So um, you know, if they make half of those free throws that they missed, they win that game. Right. You know, so, and then you kind of forget, you know, some of the other stuff that went wrong. Like 
they've cleaned up some things, right? In the Oklahoma game, they turned it over too much. In the Siena game, they they didn't. You know, I mean, they kind of controlled the basketball better. They just missed their shots, um, and they weren't they weren't getting good offense. I mean, I thought Tyree Samuel played pretty well, um, led them in points when he's in the game. Um, they're able to go down low to him and, and get some kind of a positive result usually, but then he missed a point blank layup at the end of the game that you know that could have could have tied it. I think tied at that point, yes, so, tied the game, right? Yeah. So where's Kadari Richmond? He was on the bench in the second half of that game, um, yep. and I would say that he was generally ineffective in the first half. He did have some good assists. Um, he grabbed a couple of rebounds. Uh, his scoring was not there. Um, I'm not sure if Shaheen pulled him because of um, because of his defense or because he wasn't you know being aggressive enough on offense. Um, he was banged up in the preseason and and didn't play all the practices you know in September and October leading up to the season and I don't know if he's behind the other guys physically or if it's you know a mental thing or whatever but um he hasn't played great you know for, for a guy that was you know picked second team uh, all big east in the preseason um I think the coaches wanted to honor Seton Hall in some way because I knew that they, they thought they would have a decent team and okay who's their best guy uh Richmond was the guy that they knew uh, that was coming back that was going to start but um yeah for whatever reason he is he has not played great um and i think that you know win or lose shaheen was looking to try some different things in the second half so you saw odie cali play point you saw dawes play the point uh we've seen harris uh before uh playing the point um as he had to do last year when bryce Aiken got hurt so i don't know i mean it, this one's above my pay grade <laughs> But you know what? Shaheen can talk all he wants, and and he knows better than I do, right? He, he was, you know, the leading assist man in Seton Hall basketball history, but he had the ball in his hands. I haven't seen enough, in my opinion, from any of these guys to think that they should be the lead guard. It should be Kaderi. He's not getting the job done consistently and distributing the ball and taking care of the ball and scoring. Uh, Alamir Dawes doesn't seem to quip to, to it. Femi Odakali seems to me like he's still learning the system, where to get his shots, how to score, could be affecting his defense. And that leaves Jameer Harris who did it. So we can accept the offense not being there because we knew it hasn't been there. But it's very puzzling to not have a lead guard and to not have a team that is buying in defensively as well, Dave, from my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they had their moments defensively. And I thought – the game before against Oklahoma, they really struggled defensively. Right. Uh, now, Oklahoma hit some difficult shots. They have some really good players, okay? They hit some big, you know, uh, shots late that were contested shots, but they also got, like, three open threes in a row in the left corner that uh, prompted a timeout, and they got some layups, you know, that prompted a timeout, and and they got some other open looks, and, and Oklahoma scored 77 points. Shaheen Holloway, when he coaches, usually opponents score like 57 points, not 77 points. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought that game defensively was a problem. Um, the last game, there were a few lapses, but they held Siena to 60 points. You should win a game when you hold the team to 60 points. I, I, I felt like the offense was more of the problem in the last game. I don't know. I mean, the, the team is a mystery right now. I hope that they can uh, turn it around and and be fun. You know, if they can kind of get out and run a little bit and get some easier baskets, I think that would really help them. Um, you know, when they rebound it well and can outlet and and do that and get to the line and, and all those things, I think that that could be 
uh, a key to success for them on offense and in general, because it would get them get them flowing a little bit, you know, get get some mojo going, you know, get some emotion going in the game. Is there a chemistry issue with this team? Do you see guys not playing for one another and playing a little selfishly? I, I haven't seen that. I really haven't. Okay. Um, if you see guys go one on one, it's because the play broke down. Um, I don't know. I mean, the guys seem to get along. I mean, I'm around the team, you know, relatively frequently now that we're on the road. I just spent a week with them. Um, they seem to get along. You know, they seem to like each other. And that's hard to do when, you know, you cobble together a team quickly from all over the place. Right. There's a handful of transfers. There's, you know, a couple of freshman recruits. There's, uh, you know, holdovers. You know, there's guys from other schools. It's it's hard to get them to gel quickly and to, and to buy in. You know, and I think that that part might be a work in progress. But in terms of like chemistry with the guys, they seem to get along fine. Is there a leadership void? amongst the players? I don't think so. I mean, I think Nadefo is has been one of the leaders of this group. Um, Tyrese is is one of the older guys. I don't know that he's a real vocal leader, uh, but he's been leading on the court. You know, he's had his his moments on the court and has been, you know, relatively steady. Um, I think Al Dawes is a good guy and a, and a good influence, you know, on the team. Um, is there an alpha? I don't know that there's an alpha. And And some people have said to me, like, you know, is the lack of a go-to guy, you know, scoring wise, you know, going to hurt this team? Uh, because it's been kind of a different guy every night. You know, Dawes will have 15 one night and not the next night, that kind of thing. Like there's no Jeremy Hazel on this team. But the Jeremy Hazel teams didn't always win. Right. You know, so if you have balance and if you have options, it can work. It just hasn't so far. And and you hit it, Dave. Seton Hall fans, and I think the players can ex except hey the offense isn't there we'll get the offense but if you're not defending if you're not rebounding if you're not taking care of the ball and you're not hitting free throws then you're going to see what happened in Orlando uh especially against Siena yeah they beat them the last three times and and overall you know in the, in the series and um you know I mean Shaheen did an amazing coaching job last year uh with, at St. Peter's obviously and I think he learned a lot uh, about how to coach a team, how to coach a team in a tournament, how to look for uh, the long haul. And he alluded to that the last couple of post games. He said, at, like as angry as he was, he said, there's a lot of basketball to be played. You know, and he can see signs that, um, you know, a month, two, three months from now, it's a long season. Um, if they can stay competitive, let's say, you know, 500 or better and stay in the mix, maybe they could be a good team in March. Um, but you know, right now they're struggling to find the right combinations. Yeah, we saw this last year in Rutgers, uh, although they had players that were in the program longer, uh, go through a very difficult stretch in, in November and December. I uh, got hammered against Seton Hall and they turned things on uh, and found their way. Uh, Perfect I think example. Hall, yeah, and I think, I think we've seen it last year. Seton Hall's at a fork in the road. These players, the leaders on this team, coaches, coaches, everybody have to decide which way is this team going. I, I, I think it's a critical point in the season. I'm not saying Kansas is a must win, but these next few weeks, including that Providence game, uh, might dictate where this team goes. Yeah, Rutgers and Providence would be good ones to get. I don't know. The, you know, 
I don't know what's going to happen at Kansas. Obviously, nobody knows. Um, but but they're a really good team, and it's a tough place to win. Yes. Um, so, um, you know, you circle some in the month of December that you'd be like, yeah, we'd really like to get that one. You know, that would get us pointed in the right direction. Yeah. They before they before Seton Hall fans start saying win loss win loss. This team needs to right the ship. And and Dave, I know. Um, you know, we'll be listening to you. Uh, your partner Gary uh, had some surgery, so. You've been manning the play-by-play duties on Seton Hall Pirate Basketball Radio Network and, and will be for the next coming weeks, correct? Yeah, yeah. I started with the Memphis game, which was a good one to start with because that was a, a crazy, um, unbelievable ending with the bank shot by Samuel and the, the mob scene on the court. Um, so that was fun. But um, yeah, I, I think for several weeks, you know, Gary will be on the mend and then be back with us, uh, you know, as soon as possible. And uh, Matt Ambrose did a great job filling in this past weekend, uh, former WSOU and Setonian guy, and uh, he works for Seton Hall now. And uh, Kim Adams, who does the Fox Games uh, color commentator, is going to come on for the next few weeks to help out. All right. Fantastic. We'll be listening, Dave, as always, and and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you for the time. And that is Dave Popkin, one of the longtime voices of Seton Hall men's basketball on the radio. Thanks, Dave. Good talking to you. Thanks, Brian. See you. All right, the great Dave Popkin, the voice of Seton Hall men's basketball. I don't know where the team goes from here. And you heard it in Dave's voice. I'm not sure he knows how to fix this. If anyone can, it's Shaheen Holloway. But these players need to buy in to what the coach is saying. I believe there's a leadership void in this team. There are leaders but who is leading the group? You can be a leader, but do you have followers? I think there are too many guys playing individually and they're not playing collectively. It has to begin on the defensive end. And if they're not buying in defensively, then this team has no shot. Defense, rebounding, and free throws. Those are the areas that need to improve, that need to be consistent, game in and game out. If not, it's going to be a long season, a longer season than we've seen at Seton Hall in about a decade. You'd have to go back to 2013, 14, even 2015. We'll see. They have time. But as Yogi Berra once said, it gets late pretty early around here. That'll do it for this episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. If you like what you hear on this podcast, Please give us a like, please give us a review, and tell your friends about it. The Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Until next time, enjoy the games, everyone. I'm Brian DiNovellis. So long.